This is the Lotox Life Podcast. If all the birds could fly right now, as high as me somehow, they could see all the things I've been dreaming of. These wings of mine flutter inside, they shimmy and they glide, breaking forth, crack the shell from this clockwork light. Hello and welcome to the Lotox Life Podcast. I'm Alex Stewart, your host, and today is show 188. I have Dr. Diva Nagula with me today and uh, it is a, a really wonderful show. He, um, I, I'm just going to give you this quote from him. A cancer diagnosis isn't just a personal health crisis. It's a call to develop the unhealthy areas of your life into a more authentic well-being. And I love that quote because I feel like it is so unfortunate that we humans wait for huge apocalyptic events to occur before we reassess our lives. It's almost like routine is the enemy of progress. Uh, You know, we just go, 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 go along until something literally sideswipes us into attention and uh, this was a, a very special show to perhaps call on us to maybe not wait for that side swipe, to perhaps sit down with a journal this weekend and think about what's working, what's not in our lives and what we might like to change. Uh, so um, Dr Nagula is a physician and he was diagnosed with stage 4 non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in 2014 and he chose... Uh, to integrate holistic and functional approaches to his traditional treatment regime uh, and he beat the disease into remission and has kept it there. So we do discuss a a little uh, about his personal journey as well as his book, From Doctor to Patient, Healing Cancer Through Mind, Body and Spirit. And what I love is that while he takes you through his journey, there is a lot of heartfelt um, storytelling, very personal storytelling happening during the book, but there's also some really practical medical crash course stuff, things around inflammation, uh, the difference between chemotherapy and immunotherapy, the role of gut microbiomes, the importance of immunoglobulins, uh, really, really practical book as well as beautifully spiritual. And I think it's a book that many would love, uh, regardless of whether you're on a cancer diagnosis journey or if perhaps you have someone you love or there's a friend you're trying to help uh, or um, any kind of tricky uh, chronic medical condition. I, I got a lot out of it myself. Uh, so it's a beautiful uh, conversation. I learned a lot and I know you will too. I can't believe we're nearly at 100, uh, nearly at 200 shows, by the way. Crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, thank you for being here and for all the reviews that you guys leave online. I so, so appreciate it. Here's to 200 more. Uh, there's certainly some awesome conversations coming up on the show. And uh, I feel very blessed to be able to give you these uh, wonderful, wonderful humans and their brains for this precious hour that we get to chat to them and deep dive into the work they do or the personal journeys they've been on. So uh, we have no particular show sponsor to speak of this month, uh, and I'm going to take that opportunity, therefore, to just remind you that it could be the perfect time for you to join us in the Lotox Club. Why? Well, uh, there are a lot of perks. Uh, You have a very simple once a year membership now. We've gotten rid of Patreon. People weren't enjoying the fact that there were overseas credit card charges that Patreon applies to accounts. And I I really wanted to keep things very simple uh, and easy for people to not have to watch when their credit card's expiring all the time and update details. Boring. So it's $49 Australian a month, which is about $29.30 US, about €27, about £23.24. And uh, you, once you join, you which you can do, by the way, anytime, lowtoxlife.com forward slash the hyphen low hyphen tox hyphen club forward slash, uh, or of course in the show notes or on the um, lowtoxlife.com website, you hit the explore tab and it's the very first option. And 
The minute you join, you receive your online login details. So we have an online portal now and you have the buttons uh, each month. And on the first of each month, you have your exclusive club content that comes out for you, which includes an ebook, a download to a group project we do called the three-day boost every month on whatever the theme is that month. We did a great meal morphing frugal food project last month. This month, we're doing a deep dive into transparency of an item you might be considering bringing into your home or your closet. Uh, and, uh, and then always a mindful activity. So this month it's the, uh, self-care bingo and you print it out, pop it on the fridge. And the idea is that by the end of the month, you have completed a whole line either down or across or diagonally, uh, to make sure you're checking in on yourself, filling up your cup and, and looking after you. It's, uh, uh, I, I hate using the term now more than ever, because it feels like every everyone saying now more than ever um, around the times of pandemic. But I mean, you know, is there a better time to make sure we're looking after ourselves than in a global pandemic? I think not. So uh, that is everything in your club dash. And then you have a wonderful practitioner thread. So any time of the week in the private Facebook group, you can ask our wonderful naturopath, Steph Hinton, a question around a particular supplement you might be considering, a brand recommendation. Uh, You might be at a crossroads and trying to think of the best practitioner to move forward with. She's your sounding board an hour a week. And it doesn't matter when you pop the question into the club um, practitioner thread, she answers on Fridays and, uh, and helps you move forward. So that's super useful. And uh, what else? Oh, 50% off eight of our Lotox Life courses all year round. So that's Real Food Rockstars, Lotox Kids, Preconception Ninja, Inflammation Ninja, Go Lotox, Going Gluten-Free, Going Dairy-Free, Going Additive-Free. All of them are 50% off all year round for you. It excludes two of our courses, one being Thrive and the other one being uh, the Low Tox Method, which is my business coaching course. Uh, And by the way, that starts today. Um, No rush. You can jump in any time this week. Uh, We're still taking uh, uh, registrations. But if you are struggling to move forward running a business or creating a business or establishing a business that you love collecting your own paycheck, creating your own paycheck and doing meaningful work to move people forward uh, across mind, body, food, home areas, whatever you end up niching in, uh, then come join us. It's an incredible six months. I'm so proud of the first group and what they're already achieving after going through the program since last September to April this year. And I cannot wait to meet the new fresh intake. So just Google Lotox Life, Lotox Method, and the registration page will come straight up. But that's a huge tangent to come off talking about the Lotox Club with. So yeah, come join us in the club. It's beautiful. The Facebook group is so supportive. Uh, It's growing every day. And that just means it becomes more and more helpful the more of you that join us there all supporting each other. I love doing my monthly Q&A as well. And I'm really looking forward to a couple of the bonus interviews that we've got coming up, one with psychologist Dr. Jocelyn Brewer on digital nutrition. So reframing time spent digitally as something that can be beneficial, even for pleasure or for learning. Uh, And how to do that in the context of being an adult, how to do it with our kids, how to show genuine interest in our kids and what they're doing online to help make it a safe experience for them. And I'm going to be chiming in with some information about blue lights, uh, the best products to mitigate blue light radiation uh, and what it does to stuff around with our circadian rhythms, melatonin production, etc., as well as some simple practical tips on Wi-Fi. So we do the odd thing like that that's hyper-practical, that's a bit of an extension of um, every now and then one of the experts where people say, I've got so many more questions, and we'll pop something live in the club. So we're doing a live webinar, which I cannot wait for. So that's the Lotox Club. And a little reminder, the way that you join that is either going to lotoxlife.com, hitting the explore tab and seeing join the Lotox Club as the first option, or typing into your URL bar, lotoxlife.com forward slash the hyphen low hyphen tox hyphen club. 
uh, and then it's very quick to register, 30 seconds, you're in, you get your online dashboard, password, login, the Facebook group to join, and you are set to go. So I really look forward to seeing you in there. And of course, now I very much look forward to bringing you this uh, extremely powerful conversation with physician Dr. Diva Nagula. Enjoy. Hello, Diva. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I am very well, and I'm very excited to be speaking to you today. Uh, We were just saying off the record how empowerment in a healing journey is something that's often not focused on and uh, something that was absolutely key to your healing uh, process. And I think unpacking that for people today and giving people permission to find their power in what is often portrayed as a powerless story is, uh, is such a beautiful thing to help people do. So I want to thank you pre- uh, preemptively, I guess, for doing that for us today. But I'd love to start by asking you, did you always want to be a doctor? So yes, that's a good question. I, when I was a young child, I was always in the mode of wanting to help others. I had a very empathetic heart and it was always about trying to make other people happy and irrespective of my own feelings. That's kind of how I, how I, my nature was. And when my, my father is a physician, actually he's retired now, but growing up, I was the firstborn. And so he was the person that I was looking up to since I didn't have any older siblings and I wanted to naturally follow in his footsteps. So medicine was really on the forefront of, uh, of, of for myself when I was talking and thinking about professions. And as I got into high school, the path of medicine became more clear um, as I was learning more about what I wanted to do uh, for a profession. And I, at, at the age of, of, I don't know, 17 or so, or 16 and a half, 17, I applied into a medical school program where it combined medical school and college. So you didn't have to matriculate or do all the entrance exams into medical school. You really just did it all from high school. Right. So that's when my path was pretty much set. Amazing. And it sounds like it was one that you just so naturally stepped into. Um, Do you think being a young doctor, I I always like asking doctors this, that save the day for the people kind of thing that gets drilled into you guys makes you feel a little bit invincible? Hmm, That's a really interesting, I never thought about that way. I don't know an invincible because, um, when I was practicing medicine, I was always susceptible to getting sick. But, you know, if you're talking about the invincible part as the God complex, uh, I, there are many, many physicians that I've met who have the God complex. Um, and if you're not, if you're unfamiliar with the God complex, it's basically feeling like you can, you have powers of healing and that you essentially act like, uh, the divine, like God. And uh, I never had that. I, I was too humble and, and I, I don't have that attitude of a, of a person who possesses a God complex. Um, but yeah, invincibility, I, I mean, that's, you know, it's, it's, it's something that I never really thought I was um, as I was always getting sick and I was always getting injured. So that wasn't the issue for me at all. Right. Okay. And so when a cancer diagnosis then came, what was that day like? Yeah, that was a different story. Yeah, as, surely as that wasn't something you expected. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I mean, well, when I was first diagnosed or when I went to the doctor's office, it was after a year of not working because I had exited my practice. <clears throat> and um, I, I was really stressed out when I exited my practice and I, and I just wanted to take a break from medicine and I, and I wasn't sure if I was going to come back. And so when I went into the doctor's office, I was feeling fine. I had no issues. And it was at the very end of our conversation of a very normal checkup. He was asking me anything that you want to bring to my attention. And I mentioned to him, well, yeah, I've had, I have these lumps on my neck and, 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 you know, they're kind of growing in size over the last three to four weeks. You know, it appeared on my left side and then, then a week later it appeared on the right and they were growing larger. Um, and then at that point he, he kind of looked at me, he's like, yeah, they're probably not like cysts. I was expecting a referral to a dermatologist to actually have it, um, excised. Oh, but, wow. um, he, yeah, that's, I was, cause I wasn't feeling bad at all. Mm. And so it, it ended up, he had me go refer to, uh, get some x-rays, um, CAT scans of my neck specifically. 
and my neck lit up like a Christmas tree. All my lymph nodes were enlarged. Um, usually lymph nodes are about one to two millimeters in size, but these lymph nodes were actually one to two centimeters in size. So it was really large uh, compared to what it's supposed to be. Mm -hmm. um, and we went, we went through a, a discussion of what it possibly could be. Um, the fact that I was feeling well was a very good indication that it wasn't cancer. And at, at least that was the conversation that we were having. And then um, we later talked about, well, this could be allergic reaction. A lot of times in allergic reactions, you can have uh, lymph nodes that start to um, get enlarged and, and inflamed, or it could be an infection that was brewing and I was fighting something. So those are the things that we were discussing. Um, and again, I didn't feel like I was sick because I was feeling perfectly healthy. Mm. Wow. And so when you established that it is cancer, how did the conversation change? And uh, was that the doctor that you started making plans with? Right. So at that point, he referred me to an oncologist because um, he was my primary care doctor and he felt I needed to see a specialist. And me in the medical field, I, I, I know that's the right referral because it's an oncologist who does the workup when it's um, blood related issues or cancer related issues. Um, but as a patient, when I was told this, I had to take a step backwards. I, I was, it was like oncologist, whoa, that's, that's something that you don't expect someone to tell you that. Mm. Um, so I went through the whole pro, I went to the oncologist and we did a, he did a battery of tests on me. He did um, a lymph node biopsy, a bone marrow biopsy, and did multiple blood work and more scans. And then when I came back into his office after a follow-up, um, my, my wife at the time, um, we, we went together and it was at that time he told me that I had stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Wow. Yeah. Intense. Um, where do you go from there? You know, when you're a doctor and you have all of that knowledge, I mean, it's, you know, for anyone, of course. I mean, I'm very curious because you chose uh, to integrate holistic, uh, integrative medicine with allopathic. Right. I, what was that journey into sort of establishing what was going to work for you? So at that time, I was still in full-fledged allopathic medicine world. Um, you know, I, 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 was, I was practicing in the field of interventional pain management. That was the practice that I had exited the year before. And I had no knowledge of integrative or functional medicine or holistic medicine at all. So when I went to, when I got the diagnosis, it was at that time is I had to understand where the diagnosis came from because I learned um, early on that this non-Hodgkin's lymphoma is not a cancer that you typically acquire by genetic. It's typically something that you uh, develop as a result of lifestyle change, lifestyle practices. And for me, that was a, a, a concern because then I realized that it was something that I brought on to myself. And um, when I was starting to do my research, then I, I found out that there was a lot of things that contributed to it. And it was not just something that happened overnight. It was a series of events that occurred over many, many years, even probably can be traced back to when I was in, in my mom's womb, um, that all these things were, were, were brewing in my body. And then uh, when I was under the perfect settings, it, it, it was a perfect storm of just this cancer developing. Um, right. Why did yeah. you mention your mom's womb then? Right. Well, it, it's, it's something that's brought, brought on to me recently. Um, so my mother was, um, when she had me, she and my father um, were traveling and they were coming to the United States from India for the very first time to move here. My mom was about seven months pregnant and, uh, or maybe six and a half. And when she came here, it wasn't, they didn't have any family, they didn't have any friends, they didn't really know anybody, it was just something that they wanted to do. Uh, and um, my mom, when she came here, she lost a lot of weight. She was 19 years old. She didn't know anybody. She didn't barely knew the language. And she lost weight because she didn't get acclimated to food. She was missing her, missing home, missing family. Um, and I believe that whole process of the last trimester was traumatic for me. Um, I think I, I, I was experiencing my mom's trauma. And when I came out of my mom's womb and I was born, I was very inconsolable. I was very, um, uh, I think I was born in a state of uh, fight or flight. And so in, I was in trauma and, and I, was, I was experiencing trauma. And so that trauma put in a lot of stress into my, on my system. And I think throughout my entire life, I was always in a state of fight or flight. And that 
as we know, predisposes us to a lot of stress and increases our inflammation and also leads us to um, developing chronic disease such as cancer. Mm -hmm. And so obviously then you believe that the pattern of high anxiety, but also you mentioned in the book, poor self-care. So obviously it was beyond just being anxious and stressed out. What were some of the other things that you look back and you think, dude, (laughs) that was really not good for you? Yeah, for me, it was a multitude of things. And as I write in my book, the the biggest factor that I think um, contributed, obviously there's multiple factors, but for me, that one of the eye-opening changes was what I was putting into my body. And after I left um, high school, you know, where I was under my mom's cooking every day and it was healthy, full of vegetables and a good array of nutrition. After I left high school, it wasn't like a time where I went back to eat vegetables like I did. It was all fast food, fast casual restaurants, eating out, eating at restaurants, eating at like um, fast food chains like, like McDonald's and Burger King and, and things like that. And, you know, at that time, that's probably when I felt invincible because I was young, you know, and, and I could do whatever I want um, to my body because I knew there weren't any repercussions at the time. Um, and it was, it was all this processed food that I was putting into my system, this, this um, un, un, uh, awful amount of, uh, of sugary beverages that I was putting. And these were the things that were contributing to um, an unhealthy diet and unhealthy lifestyle. Um, so that was one thing that dawned on me that I was eating a lot of foods that contained processed foods. Plus, I was also eating a traditional diet, not an organic diet. And we know traditional diet, uh, traditional uh, foods contain a lot of pesticides and herbicides and specifically um, glyphosate. And glyphosate is the active ingredient in what we know today is the weed, weed chemical um, of Roundup. Um, and it's a product that's, that's manufactured by Monsanto and Bayer. And then I've later read um, as I was researching that there's a huge link between uh, glyphosate exposure and to the cancer that I have had developed non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So this was another fa- risk factor. This is another thing that I realized that was in my system that I under- that was contributing to the diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Crazy. Uh, and the, uh, the science, thankfully, is becoming more and more clear there that there is a connection uh, to hopefully help many people around the world realize that there have to be different ways of farming. There have to be different ways of eating. And uh, it, it pains me that, that skeptics are still trying to push for the fact that there's no difference between organic produce and conventional produce. It's all got the same everything and it just doesn't. If you're right. killing the soil, you're killing the food. And if you're killing right. the food, you're killing the people. Exactly. Yeah. So you obviously mentioned uh, before fight or flight uh, inflammation and that being in that constant stress state. Can you unpack for the people who might be a little bit newer to that uh, scientifically what happens to our body when we remain in a stressed out state for too long and why that causes inflammatory processes and potential disease? Right. So when we're in a constant state of stress, our bodies are, are in a state of fight or flight. So we're always um, in a position where our inflammatory state is high. And there's a correlation between stress that we experience and cortisol levels that are produced by our adrenal glands. And that all, that's, that's a, an equation where inflammation is going to be driven higher. Um, and inflammation, I think, is more of something that we probably should talk about a little bit in detail. Um, acute, there's, there's two types of inflammation. There's acute and then there's chronic. Acute inflammation is something that we're all familiar with when we say, for example, we scrape our arm against something sharp. What happens there is that you'll experience this, this uh, redness that occurs over the area where you scrape your, your arm. And then there's a lot of discomfort, some pain, some burning, um, and some swelling that occurs after that. After a few days, that, that subsides. Um, and that's acute inflammation. It typically takes two to six weeks for an acute inflammation to start and to subside. Um, the next is chronic inflammation. Chronic inflammation is something that we experience three months or greater. And we're, that is something that's a little bit devious because it's not something that's overt like um, a skin's like a scratch. It's something that's hidden in our bodies. And we may not experience it on a regular basis because it, it's not something that uh, occurs immediately. It's something that is over a long period of time, like three months or greater. 
And that's when the, that's the inflammation that actually is harmful because it actually can lead to disease if it's not, if it's kept unchecked. Um, some of the conditions with chronic inflammation that we might experience is like brain fog, uh, joint pain, anxiety, depression. Um, and the biggest thing that for me, what happened was I had a lot of GI disturbances. Um, so my, a lot of gastrointestinal issues. And I didn't really think of anything because to me it was normal because I forgot what it was like to be really normal. Um, mm. It was more of the new normal, the new normal. Because yeah, after months so and months true. of the same thing, it becomes a new normal. And that to me was I, I, uh, a huge indication because I was not paying attention to my body. And um, if I paid more attention to my body and understood the changes that were taking place, I might've been able to step in and intervene, not only as a physician, but also as a patient. I could have been like, hey, what's going on with my body? And I could have gone to a physician earlier or done more research just to figure out what was going on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's, um, there are so many people that don't realize how well we're meant to feel because we just get so used to this model of going into the pharmacy, popping in for a painkiller, popping in for a, a cream or this or that. And it just becomes so, when you see it all around you, it, you stop thinking about whether it's okay or not for you to feel that right. way. I think it just completely normalized in our culture to feel crap. Right. And it's almost glorified. How are you feeling? Oh yeah, I'm stressed and busy. Oh yeah, me too. You know, and it's comforting each other through crap. <laughs> like well, let's lift each other up here and uh and beyond these feelings so it's exactly so important to talk about um something you talk about uh it's actually even right there on the back of your book is it's not just a personal health crisis but a call that you felt to develop unhealthy areas into an authentic sense of well-being and that for me kind of makes me think we're about to segue into more of the emotional a spiritual journey that you went on. Can you talk a little bit about um, those aspects as you moved through treatment, which you chose conventional treatment as well, uh, right? Right. Mm. Yeah, for me, I, I had to have conventional treatment. And, and the rationale was because when I was diagnosed, I had multiple um, second opinions. Mm -hmm. And the second opinions allowed me to have a window of opportunity to pursue, which was called watch and wait period. And the watch and wait allowed me to not have to go through chemo immediately, but just to simply wait around and to see if the cancer would regress itself or it would progress, and in which case I would need treatment. So I chose this pattern, and then during this time frame, I, I, I tried to change as much of my lifestyle to try to help the re, uh, to regress the cancer to regress. So I did a lot of relaxation. I was very much um, changing my diet around. I exercised more, all in, with the hopes of having this cancer regress. But the problem was is that a few months later, um, I was developing this, um, this awful back pain. And this back pain was radiating into my groin. And any physician who you talk about those symptoms, you automatically know, okay, it's most likely some sort of urinary tract infection or it's a kidney stone, something of that nature. And uh, that's what I thought I had. But uh, my physician, just, my oncologist decided to get some scans. And that's when we knew that it wasn't um, a kidney stone. It was the cancer had actually grown more where it was encroaching on my kidney, causing me to have that pain. So then he was like, okay, well, let's, we, now we need to start can, uh, treatment. So that's when the chemotherapy started. Um, and so that's, that's, that was the, the, the process for me where I really went through a transformation. I went, basically went into my rock bottom status. And then after I, I um, went into remission after five months of, of chemo is when I really had to change myself and really um, reinvent myself from all aspects of life, not just eating right and not just exercising. Because I'd address one aspect of, the, of, my, of my, my soul. I never really address my spiritual side or the mind side. And um, we talked about briefly about um, the physical side, with, which is the eating correctly and of course, exercising. But what I started to do, uh, understand through my research and through uh, my interest in functional and integrative medicine was that we really need to incorporate a lot of mindfulness strategies. And mindfulness strategies, mindfulness, the definition of mindfulness is moment-to-moment uh, -moment awareness without having any judgment. So as a physician, for me, I didn't understand what living in the moment was because 
as we're in school for so many years, we always think about the future with all this test that we have to do, these standardized tests, um, board tests, this test, uh, certification tests. And we're always thinking about our, uh, after college, it's medical school, then it's residency, then, then the fellowship. And then after fellowship, it's like, okay, let's look for a job. So we never really had an opportunity to look at our life in the moment. It was about looking at the past and having regrets about things that we didn't do correctly or looking at the future in anticipation of what we, sh we, we were preparing to, to do. And when I read about mindfulness, I was like, oh my gosh, no wonder I've always been stressed out because I never understood how to live in the moment. And when we're living in the moment, there's no fear, there's no anxiety, there's just the now. Yeah. And, 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 that's, and that was the issue for me. I never understood that. And, and, and do you feel like, um, do you feel like it took the rock bottom aspect of what you were going through for you to crack open a bit and be uh, more curious about uh, things that you might not have come across yet. I was curious, you know, that, that beautiful line in Khalil Gibran's The Prophet, the deeper the sorrow carved, the greater the joy to fill. You know, just I always get this image of a, something being cracked open and then filling up with, with the good stuff. Do you feel yeah, like you could have just cerebrally gone, oh, that looks like a good idea or part of reaching further than your awareness currently felt was actually hitting a rock bottom. I, I believe I would have never developed these strategies on how to live life if I had not had cancer and hit rock bottom. Uh, so I truly would have probably never really uh, gone into the lens of writing the book and, and um, all, uh, sharing strategies that I feel are necessary not only to prevent cancer, but also to prevent inflammation and to reduce inflammation so we can help prevent like the COVID virus or any other viruses. So it's, it's all, and, and a lot of this was taken from the tenets of integrative medicine around the time that I was sick. Um, I, my learned my research was very much the foundation of what integrative medicine taught us. And so I applied to a fellowship and, and right after I had got out of remission, because it interested me. And I was like, this seems to be the field of medicine that we should be practicing, not only as physicians, but also as, as patients. Patients should be going to integrative medicine specialists. And that's when I learned a lot about these strategies, um, specifically about how to eat well, like food is medicine, um, how to practice mindfulness exercise, uh, exercises. Um, so the meditating was one aspect for me. Um, and breathing exercise was another way of, of meditating and to be more in the moment. Um, and that's, and, 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 and yoga and, and things like mind body practices, such as the yoga and Tai Chi, those are other mindfulness practices that I started to practice, engage in because I really wanted to learn to be more in the moment. Yeah. So beautiful. And I'm curious to, to hear, uh, those first few sessions where you were practicing being in the moment because a lot of us think oh you know I could never possibly be still or I'm not going to be as good as that right. guy or maybe he had to learn to be in the moment because he had cancer and it, his life depended on it was it easy or or was it something you really had to cultivate and find frustration yeah. with I'd imagine the I'm going to die narrative would pop in a few times uh, in those early stages as well when you've got a diagnosis like that. And that's the hard thing about meditation. Mm -hmm. And I totally can empathize with people who want to do a meditation practice but give up because it's just hard or unappealing because you don't feel the effects of it. So, you know, like you want to. And 15 minutes um, of, of trying to keep our minds really blank and trying not to have thoughts or other things that pass through is very difficult. And I actually went through that process and I gave up because it's like, it wasn't working. But then I found um, breathing exercises. Um, pranayama is a form of breathing. Um, and the breathing exercises also, there is a technique that was talked under my, uh, under um, my fellowship director, Dr. Andy Weil at in integrative medicine. And he was very big into breathing. And to me, the breathing exercise was something that I could focus very easy because I could concentrate on my inhale and exhaling. And also that allowed me to reduce my fight or flight response <clears throat> and put me into a more of a relaxed state, into a rest or digest um, um, scenario. And this, and this, to me, is a form of meditation. And it's very effective. And it's, you could perceive the effects of, of the breathing 
almost immediately. And, you know, if you wore some sort of a monitor that kept track of your like heart rate variability, you would notice that your heart rate variability would improve just by a few sessions or a few minutes of, of breathing. Mm. And can you share just for the people who haven't come across HRV before, what that is and why it's important, an important marker in our health? Right. So heart rate variability or HRV is a measure of the resilience of our, our nervous system. Mm-hmm. So in, in, in short, in a very quick uh, way of defining it, there's uh, a scale from zero um, and there's really no ceiling. It could be hundreds or whatever. Um, but the lower the value of the HRV shows that you're more in a state of sympathetic or fight or flight. And we don't want to be in that state. Um, there's an there's a appropriate time to be in that state. For example, if a mountain lion is bearing <laughs> down on you, that's the time to be in fight or flight. Yeah. But on normal day-to-day, as we're having a conversation right now, there's no reason to be in fight or flight. The other uh, aspect of it is parasympathetic or rest or digest. And if you're in that state, your HRV is going to be a lot higher. And so you really want your HRV to be as high, you know, in a higher level as, as much as possible and being able to properly respond to a situation when needed and be in fight or flight. But for the most part, stress is what induces fight or flight. And if we have more stress in our system, we're, we're causing harm to our bodies and driving inflammation, which drives chronic disease such as cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really important to employ these exercises so that we're able to maintain more of a parasympathetic or rest or digest state versus sympathetic. Yeah. And it sounds like what you've just described, it's almost like we want to have a well-toned nervous system where we can dip into fight or flight when needed and rebound much faster and find what should be our homeostatic state of balance and rest um, more easily than kind of staying there. It's like people who get the the shits in traffic and then they just don't know how to unwind themselves after screaming at the guy in front of them. And that's, that's what happened to me. I was born into a fight or flight state. I didn't know how to be soothed and be in a rest or digest or parasympathetic. That was my normal. Mm. So for years, that's what, that was how I lived my life. And then it caught up with me. Yeah. I think um, I have a very uh, nervous, um, anxious parent and one who's a lot more relaxed and we used to spend the summers with the more relaxed one in her family. Oh gosh, that means I just gave away which one was mama, which <laughs> one was dad. <laughs> but um, she's from Mauritius. And so I would go and we would be with all my aunties and family and cousins and it would be an extremely relaxing summer. And I, I honestly believe that was the foundations for me to be a generally more relaxed person because I just got so, so many good cues from so many people all around that that was the way you wanted to live. And, um, and even though, of course, when you have a parent who is more anxious, you tend to, to pick up on that, pick up on that. And I do, and I fully acknowledge it and I go, Oh my gosh, you're being so much like, that person right now, right. Um, I'm more aware. And I think awareness is that crucial step to be able to watch and analyze yourself and see when you're dipping into the bits of your personality that maybe, or your reactions rather, that don't serve you as well as some of the other parts. And you could go find the good ones, you know? Right. Mm. right. So interesting. And so I'm, I'm curious to see on your um functional medicine education journey, uh, whether you felt any frustrations with the system, because had you just gone down the opinions, the therapies and the remission, you might've, you know, held the flag of success up and gone on with your life and then gone back into patterns of being stressed and overworked uh, down the track thinking maybe I'll move into oncology and help all these people um, with cancer treatment is there a frustration that this isn't more widely accepted and even further that it is actually shunned and shamed often as, uh, as a dangerous alternative, uh, which blows my mind personally, but as a doctor, I'm very keen to hear your thoughts. Yeah. And for me, it was a more of, I I experienced this firsthand and, and I, I lived the life eating a standard American diet, eating, what everybody else was eating and sub, what was subsidized by the government. So this was 
for me natural. And I went to medical doctors and, and I espoused and followed and practiced, you know, conventional medicine. Uh, and then I realized after my plight that this was incorrect. And it was understanding what the options, what other options were out there and how to practice these options as a physician and as a patient was really more about how to change and live your life. It's about lifestyle changes. What we know about traditional medicine and conventional medicine, it's really about placing a Band-Aid over the symptoms. You know, that's the treatment option is like, okay, here's, an, here's a pill and the pill is a source is a band-aid that masks the symptoms you're not really getting to the root cause of the problem and that's the difference between conventional medicine western medicine and 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 integrative or functional medicine integrative and functional gets to the root cause of the problem so if you're coming into the doctor's office and you have issues and you're complaining of high blood pressure the functional medicine the integrative doctor was going to look at you from a holistic perspective and they'll figure out Let's, let's talk about what's going on in your life. You know, let's look at the foods that you're eating, you know, and, and see what the culprit is to fix that problem in that manner, instead of sitting there prescribing a medication that is, that the patient has to take for the rest of their life. And that has potential side effects and interactions with other things. So that's where I feel the dilemma is. And I, and I really think that um, the way we practice medicine is, is needs to be changed. There needs to be a paradigm shift and how we practice medicine as physicians. Uh, I feel that if we practice preventative care and we, we acknowledge um, and, we, and we actually approach the patient from looking at them instead of applying a Band-Aid but getting to the root cause, we're able to uh, get a lot more satisfaction in delivering proper care and delivering right, uh, um, care that actually works without having to impart um, pharmaceuticals. Um, and we're also going to save a lot of health dollars in the, in, in the future. Um, but this isn't the case. We're practicing medicine that's very defensive medicine. Physicians practice defensively all the time. And we are often in a situation where we're placing band-aids on people um, that aren't effective. And I don't want to um, really, I, I don't want to poo-poo all over Western medicine. It has some great um, uh, practices and, and there's a lot of great things to talk about. I mean, we are able to get into a motor vehicle accident and be fixed back up by, by conventional surgery and, and modern technology. It's fascinating. Antibiotics are fantastic. You know, if you have a real true infection, it can save your life. Um, and there are medications that really are helpful. But for the most part, you know, medicine as we practice needs to be changed. Yeah. And how, how do you see when you're talking with fellow doctors, how do you see that actually happening? Because right now, most people who value or acknowledge the value of an integrative doctor are paying a lot more and on their own dime. Often insurances don't cover alternative therapies, supplements, et cetera, uh, that might be prescribed. Um, so it seems like quite a privileged choice to have integrative care. How do we make it a uh, mainstream choice? Uh, that's a good question. I think it's really about education. Yeah. Um, doing doing conversations like this um, to pe and and delivering these messages to people who don't know otherwise, mm. and it's 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 writing the book that I I wrote, um, and and it's just getting information out to the masses, and that's kind of what I'm all I'm, I'm all about now. It's not about I, I I miss practicing medicine where I see patients one to one, but I really don't feel that that's um, what's needed right now. I need to provide this information to the masses so that I get the word out so that it can foster a change and a change for the better. Mm. And speaking of practicing one-on-one -on -one with patients, if you could go back to the clinic that you left, overworked and stressed, needing a break, mm. uh, working in pain intervention, I think you said uh, yes. was your main area, how would you see that patient, that last patient you saw? How do you think that consult would go differently now with everything you know? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I think about that every single day. I bet. And I, I would have, I, I believe in the strategies that I use to treat my patients. And for the majority of the patients, they got better. But there was a subset of the population, you know, that did not get better and that were experiencing chronic pain. And the standard of care at that time, if you exhausted all options that were known, is to you just place them on pain medications and you would increase the pain medications until the, the pain would resolve or, or would be tolerable. 
And it wasn't just about narcotics. It was all about different mo other types of medicines that work synergistically and would reduce the patient's pain. And these are the people that I wish I had a second chance because rather than increasing medications, I would have been able to have the insight to determine and look and see what their lifestyle strategies were, what their practices were, how much stress they were on, what they were eating on a regular basis, you know, what kinds of foods they were, uh, uh, they're, they're intaking, what kind of chemicals were they, were they exposed to. And did they have an exercise regimen? Did they have a regimen where they were sweating, you know, where they were practicing, where they were in a sauna and sweating the toxins out of their system? I mean, those types of things, which are very easy conversational tools to have, which could have made a huge difference in the patient's outcome rather than sitting there and, and increasing the patient's medications or starting a new medication. Mm. Um, and I hope that with this book, you get to reach that new generation of people that you'll, um, you'll be able to intercept in time. Uh, and I, I really commend you for choosing that course, because I think when you've, people always listen to someone who's been through a profound health journey themselves. And I think that in itself makes a very important message more likely to get picked up um, when people such as yourself talk about them. So I want to talk about the book a little bit because I like the structure of it's not just this was my cancer journey, you know, a, a big dramatic tale of a personal health journey, but it is also, uh, and, and I'm not belittling that journey at all, by the way, I'm just saying that the choice that you made to also make it a bit of a, a, an integrative medical crash course is um is really well done and uh people can learn a lot from reading it i um i i wanted to ask i guess did you intend to advise and guide uh, suggest what people do in their own lives and when someone has maybe been given a cancer diagnosis and they read your book how do you hope it lands for them um in terms of empowering them on their own way yeah and that's the whole idea was to give enough uh, tenets and get enough information to the reader to allow them to empower themselves and, and take a little bit of control back because a lot of people who are diagnosed with cancer specifically, and, and this is something that happened to me is that I lost control of my life because it was all about going through chemotherapy and medicines. And there was no other alternative because the physicians that I was working with did not present another alternative to me because they didn't know any better. And, and, and that was the difference for me. And I think if people understand that there are alternatives, there are other strategies that can be used to mitigate or, or the cancer, or if not totally resolve the cancer in itself, that's, that's kind of what, what I, I wanted to provide people is to give them enough information to empower them and to give them a sense of control. Um, and this control is, is totally lost when you are first struck with the diagnosis of cancer and then you're giving your entire control in the hands of your physician and the medicines that they prescribe. That's scary. That was scary for me. And I'm a control freak. So when I was going through cancer, I, I, it was devastating for me. It really was a significant blow because I had no control over anything that I had um, to do in regards to my, my treatment. So it's very, it's very good to, to inform and educate people in, from my perspective, to give them a sense of power and give them a sense of education so they can really take, take situation in, back into control. Mm. And control is an interesting word, isn't it? Because I often think the, the, the idea of losing control can sometimes take hope along with it. And hope is such an important part of um, someone's overall well-being, a sense that everything's going to be okay. And a cancer diagnosis is probably one of the diagnoses that can really strip that away for someone very, very fast, uh, especially if they haven't been exposed to mindfulness practices and, um, and alternatives. And I think you can control what you eat. You can control how many times you sit down to quieten the mind during the day. You can control whether or not you do a sauna or take some exercise, go get some fresh air in a forest, uh, you know, feed your microbiome properly. And learning all of these lifestyle strategies actually helps bring a sense of control and hope back because you know you're also doing good things even while you choose perhaps some of those allopathic interventions to help in the overall picture mm -hmm. would you say that that was true for you 
it was it was 100% yeah i would say that I and mean, it was it was all about for me um but for me it was not it was after the fact because i already went through the cancer and i didn't know these strategies uh, although during this watch and wait period i tried to employ as many strategies as i could but unfortunately for me um it wasn't enough because it was a little too late and it for me it was a it was a sense of failure that i that i had um i i wasn't used to failing and i'd failed and i had to go ahead and, and get the conventional chemotherapy. But in remission, I have control. And a lot of cancers, um, unfortunately, people who revert back to their previous lifestyle, they often have the cancer come back again and it recurs simply because you didn't change your lifestyle. And that's why there's in many cancers a high recurrence rate. Um, and the idea is, is that if you have a cancer and you do have treatment, we need to still change strategies, change lifestyle strategies so that we are at a less of a chance to get the cancer again or another cancer or another disease. Um, if you're living a life where you're, um, it, it's not like a, it's, you're getting a second chance. So it's really not, it's really the best thing to do is to make, take advantage of that second opportunity if you're in remission. Um, and I think that's another reason why I, I wrote the book is to talk to those subset of populations. It's like, yes, you may have, got lucky and you're in a state of remission and you underwent this rigorous uh, chemo treatment, um, but it's not over. You still are at a risk of getting cancer again because once you, there is, a, there is an increased chance of getting cancer if you've had cancer in, uh, some time ago in your life. And we need to uh, be able to practice strategies to uh, mitigate and eliminate that opportunity of having this cancer come back. Mm, absolutely. And can we talk about psychedelics? Because that's somewhere you forayed as well. Uh, how did that come across your desk and, and what made you curious about um, psychedelic therapy? So uh, my book is about the mind, body and the spirit. And mm. it was really um, um, that my spiritual practices uh, were really non-existent before um, I, got, I got diagnosed with cancer. And I, I knew that was, uh, uh, as I was writing my book, I realized that there was a missing piece to the puzzle. It's like, it's not just about mind and body because that's all I'm writing about. There's a different aspect of life that we need to address in order to attain well-being. And then it dawned on me, it was spiritual practice, but I didn't know how to approach this. Um, and then uh, I, I had moved back to the DC area and um, I had, was just coming back from, um, undergoing this brutal fight with cancer and I was facing a lot of anxiety about being in public because I shut myself off from people and when I got back into DC I thought I could um, integrate myself uh, back into society and I and I couldn't and it's because I, I just I turned into an introvert um, during the whole cancer process I lacked connection with people and I understood that um, later on was the connection was a big a big component of my life in, in which was a contributory factor of of developing the cancer, um, and what I mean is that is that I was I was very lonely, and loneliness is is um, interesting. It's a it's a risk factor for mortality. It's, it's a greater risk factor for mortality than smoking cigarettes, um, or being wow. obese or drinking alcohol, and even though I was around people and around patients, I. I, I didn't have that connection. I was still lonely. And um, that was a, a take-home message for me. And then when I moved back to the DC area, um, I, I joined a, a networking group and um, there was an opportunity to, to do psychedelic medicine. I had no idea what psychedelic medicine was. I, I actually canceled twice on this guy. <laughs> I, I was just like, and, and it was, I didn't want to do it. I didn't understand it. And um, I was also you know, that was my introverted side coming out. I didn't want to leave my house. And um, I went through it. And uh, it was, it was, the experience was, was unbelievable. And I write this in my book. Um, when I came out of uh, the psychedelic experience, I remember driving home to the, uh, um, on a road that I had driven hundreds of times. And I remember looking at buildings and looking at trees and it was as though I was seeing them for the very first time. I was looking at everything to a different lens. Usually when I drive down on the street, I would be ruminating and be oblivious to what was going around me. But because of psychedelics, it quieted my brain and it shut off this system, this, this network. It's called a default mode network. And it shuts this off and it resets it 
so that it really slows down your brain and you're not and you're not ruminating so much and for the very first time i was seeing things like because i was in the moment and i was more present and this is what um it's all about when we're talking about spirituality you know i started to understand um the impact of connectivity um i i started realizing that um, there's a bigger picture where we need to be more connected to one another. That's what we're here for. That's what we're born for. We're not here to be isolated. We're all here on a purpose to, to, to be connected. And through psychedelics, I, able, I was able to understand that. I was able to understand that there's a bigger picture in a universe that we're part of and that we have connection to everything that's part of the universe, including the universe. And um, it was these practices um, and, and insights that I later learned that it's a way of life. And um, for me, since I was very lonely, I started to develop a connection and I got out of my loneliness by me, by being more of service to other people. And um, that that's the antidote for loneliness is being of service. And my spiritual practices started to take place. And so I was expressing more gratitude. I was developing more connection and um, I was also being of service to others. And I, I feel that this awakening occurred because of the usage of psychedelic medicines. Wow. And so this wasn't through a clinical trial or um, anything. It was kind of like meeting someone who knew someone. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah it, was an, it was an underground <laughs> yeah, practice. So yeah, yeah. It was definitely not above ground and it was not sanctioned. It was not legal. So yeah. <laughs> Just to be clear, um, right. but uh, and, and so you say in the book that it was for about a year. What made you think that you were done with that, or are you done? No, I'm not done. I mean, I I, I still practice psychedelic okay. medicines. Um, it's and people ask, well, why do you keep doing it? I'm like, well, I want to get better as a person, as an individual, and not to mention, I also want to rid the trauma that I've experienced it for as many years that I've, I've been alive, we all go through trauma. And trauma, um, if you study trauma, our bodies store trauma. And psychedelics allow us to um, process trauma. Um, it actually allows us to release trauma that's stored in our bodies. Um, one specific medicine, um, which I also talk about in my book, it's, it's um, MDMA, which is the active ingredient in ecstasy or molly. Um, this is actually in clinical trials and the usage of this medicine on people who suffer from PTSD is unbelievable. It has like a 82% cure rate. So by one to two sessions. Um, and so this, this is the reason why this medicine is being fast tracked um, in, the, in, in the United States uh, because they want to legalize it because it has such phenomenal um, results with people who are suffering from PTSD, depression. Um, the other medicine that I talk about in my book is um, uh, magic mushrooms or uh, psilocybin, which is the active ingredient in the mushrooms. And this is another uh, medicine that's also being fast tracked because it's, it's shown it has great promise in reducing mental disorders like anxiety, depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, even, even things like addiction. Um, and it, all this is factually documented. It's not like something that, you know, I've experienced once or twice and, and giving you my perspective. This is all facts. And a lot of research has been done over the, over the years regarding these two medicines. It's funny you should say that uh, because next week's show is uh, Dr. Dave Rabin, one of the chief researchers uh, driving uh, more in-depth understanding and uh, highlighting the potential that these uh, drugs have in microdosing forms on um, mm -hmm. uh, on PTSD and other mental disorders, and people who favour fight or flight and just cannot regulate their nervous systems. So I, I think it's very exciting, and we should always be talking about what might help people lead better lives, more peaceful lives, loving, connected, healthy. Uh, it's let's hope that one day we get to a point where to, to discuss such things isn't taboo. Yeah. 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 And I, I think we're, we're in that, we're in that phase now. I think uh, there's more and more acceptance of this medicine. Um, it's actually um, in the process of being de decriminalized in many municipalities in the United States. Mm. Um, we'll see at the end of the year when there's the election time, um, it, when these municipalities go for, and put it for a vote. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so a couple of questions to finish up. What would you love to tell a 16-year-old you if you got the chance? 
Yeah, I, I would probably tell myself to uh, slow down <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, and just and, and really enjoy life and enjoy the moment and not be so obsessed about the future, not worry about the past, you know, really be in tune with your body, have more awareness of what's going on in your body, have more of a sense of connection with yourself and with others. Um, and, and, and obviously just, just be good to yourself, you know, and not be so hard on yourself and in the sense of having negativity and negative thoughts. And, and, um, you know, a lot of times we do that to ourselves. We have this, this voice, inner voice in which is, is, um, you know, always very critical and that's the ego. Mm -hmm. And I, I would really want my 16 year old self to, to be aware of that ego voice and understand that that's not the true voice. Um, and I think, uh, if, if I have, if, if I, I'm pretty confident, if I was able to tell my 16 year old self, I wouldn't have this cancer today. Wow. That's big. And mm -hmm. how do you, uh, suggest someone who has been through cancer has, is in remission? How do you suggest that they best deal with that, that little voice that, I've heard from many cancer survivors um, says, oh, but it'll come back to get you someday. Like every doctor's appointment could be the one where you get told it's come back. Have you managed that in your own uh, life? And how would you suggest someone uh, quieten that voice in their own life? Yeah. And a lot of the things that I've done in my life, I've, uh, in terms of the lifestyle changes that I've made, Allowed, has, has allowed me to not have that inner voice so much so. Like, I don't think about the cancer coming back because I know that I've made so much progress in my life that, it's the, that I've raised and above a cancer in a sense, so to speak. Um, I'm not concerned about that. I'm not concerned about a lot of health issues because I'm, I'm living a very healthy lifestyle. Um, and, and for me, um, sometimes I do feel like I go back and revert myself back. And, and in these cases, I need a brain reset. And sometimes this brain reset is facilitated by either practicing mindfulness strategies or undergoing a psychedelic experience. Um, not advocating that everybody go out there and please and don't go hit find the street someone. corner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Please don't do that. There's a safe way of doing this. And, uh, uh, but that is an option. Um, uh, but I really would think that, it, this inner voice is because we're thinking about the future or we're worried about the past. Mm. So we really need to stay in the moment. And, and if we were in the moment, there's no worry. There's no reason that this voice has to come and haunt us. Mm. And for someone who uh, is on a cancer healing journey right now, maybe it's a two steps back, one step forward. Maybe, you know, they're almost at the end. There are so many different, uh, uh, emotional waves that one would go through, I'd imagine, or have been told by people who have been through it or are going through it. Um, what are some of your favorite things in your book that, you know, just a couple of key things that you really think helps move the needle for people to stay focused on the, the beauty of the present? Um, what did that look like for you maybe on a day-to-day -day basis going through it? That might be the best way to, to help others. Yeah, it's it's about having a sort of new routine. You know, when you're changing when you're changing your life and you're and you're implementing life strategies, new lifestyle strategies, it's hard to do because it takes what 21 days to form a new habit. So it's really about starting a new routine and and so I even myself I'm very guilty of certain things because I preach this to people, you know, on my podcast or as a guest on people's podcasts you know, we really need to do something. And I'm taking this, for example, like gratitude. Um, gratitude, expressing gratitude is something that's so beneficial for ourselves from a spiritual perspective and a chemical perspective. Um, expressing gratitude actually increases like dopamine and serotonin. And these are feel-good hormones that we, we need you know, to, to, to motivate ourselves and to, and to be happy. Um, and a simple practice of gratitude, you implement that on a regular basis, it will have benefits in, in, and play, pay dividends over time. The same with doing meditation practices or breathing exercises. It's whatever strategy that you employ, stick with it, be consistent. And, um, and if you're implementing something new, really start a routine with it. You know, stick with it for 21 days and it will become a new habit. 
What excellent advice. Thank you, Doc. Uh, what a beautiful conversation. I really appreciate you sharing uh, such a personal uh, journey that you have been through in the past, but also your desire for so many more people to take control of their lives and realise how much we can do to lead healthy, connected happy, uh, good lives. And um, I, I just don't think we can ever talk about that enough. So I appreciate you lending your voice to this uh, noble subject. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Well, there you have it. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. And I want to remind you that you can come join me on social, on Instagram at Lotox Life or one word, or my personal Instagram uh, at underscore Alex with two X's, Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. On Facebook, you can find us at Lotox Life uh, and, of course, lotoxlife.com. And if you want additional support and community around leading a Lotox Life, I can't recommend a better thing to do than to come join us at the Lotox Club for just $49 Australian per year, which is about $29.30 US about 27 euro and about 25 pounds, you get a stack of club member perks and the benefit of a beautiful private Facebook community. So check out the website, lotoxlife.com, hit the explore tab and you'll see join the Lotox Club as your very first option there. I hope to see you in there. If not, I will see you in our wider community sometime soon. Thanks again for tuning in.